Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Up in the attic, Will Bond, we're going to start with basketball. I want to get the kid's name right. The number one prospect in the 2020 high school class, Jalen Green of Fresno, California, announced today he was not going to college. Reportedly, he was going to choose between Memphis and Auburn. Instead, he chose the G League, where he can make as much as $500,000, and that doesn't count any endorsements that he will be eligible to get. Will Bond, do you see the G League now as competing for talent with college basketball? Not yet, Tony. Not yet. Not, not based on the strength of one player. I mean, how many players are you going to have to get over how many years? I, I think if you wind up getting the top or, you know, two or three of the top 10 players over the next three or four years, then you can say that. Look, I, I applaud this move and I'm interested in it because it seems like now the G League becomes somewhere between appealing and enticing. And particularly in this year, Tony, in these circumstances, we don't know what's going to happen to the calendar school year. I mean, there's already there's more and more talk about college football not happening at all. Well, guess what? The college football season is sort of in the middle when college basketball season starts. So we don't know with this pandemic when the college basketball season is going to be the college basketball season that these kids recognize, identify with, and their parents feel comfortable with them playing. Now you can make some money. You can still be coached at, a, at, at, I would think, a reasonable level, reasonably high level. So I'm not ready to say it's going to compete with the colleges yet. But this year is going to make this much more intriguing, I think, than it would have been. This is really a lot of money for this kid. It's a tremendous amount of money, $500,000. Not everybody who foregoes going to college is going to make this. I think you know where I stand on this politically and socially. I hate the one-and-done rule. I think it's unconstitutional. Anything that undermines it to me is a good thing. This kid doesn't want to go to college. He has no intention of graduating from college. He's parked in college until the NBA lets him in. It's, it's like in a no-standing zone with the, with the motor <laughs> running. I mean, he doesn't really want to be there. I think down the road, and I agree with you, that this is the asterisk year because you don't even know if there's going to be college but down the road, it seems possible to me that college is going to have to compete economically for these types of players. And if there is no live gate this year in basketball and in football, and as we talked about yesterday, colleges are in economic difficulty, they're not going to be able to do it. They're not. This, no. I, this could be the revolution. I don't think it is yet, but I think you could see it coming, right? Yeah, Tony, we could backdate it to this. You know, if colleges struggle to the point where, I mean, some are going to struggle to that point. But if the power five schools begin to struggle and if parents and children see this as a way and it doesn't have to be 500 grand, it doesn't have to be even be 250, Tony, because they're making nothing in that one year. As we always point out, they are the labor force That's right. in college. It could be 100 grand and they'd be happy to go. Yeah. yeah and, and they're going to apparently it is being reported they're going to create a team in California for this kid. Good deal. That's good. It's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, Tony, let's go to a Miami Herald report in which the Miami Dolphins 
are being said to have done some extensive studying of Justin Herbert, including a recent video interview. And many of the draft Knicks, including our pal Mel Kuyper, are now projecting that the Dolphins will take Herbert at number five, not Tua. Tone, are you buying that the Dolphins could really take Justin Herbert over Tua? So if they do this, they are ignoring all of the data that has been compiled that shows that Tua is a far superior quarterback than Herbert. Far superior. If you're afraid of Tua, you think he's fragile. You don't have to take another quarterback who nobody thinks is going to be particularly great and pass up on Tua. I mean, let's look at, let's look since Dan Fouts from the University of Oregon, like Akili Smith, Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota. None of them have set the world on fire. Tua is said to be a fantastic prospect if he's healthy. I have not yet heard that about Herbert. Have you? No, Tony, but I don't want to make the draft sound like a science because it ain't. I mean, because if it was a science and Tom Brady wouldn't have lasted to the 434th round. So I, I'm not I'm, I'm not it's not biblical, the draft to me. It's still a guesstimate. I mean, you want to be smart about it. But, Tony, I don't care how to uh, how good he is. If he can't be out there because of the injuries and every time somebody talks to Tua or examines him, they seem to come up with some X-ray that shows another broken bone or a place in his body that I'm not taking him. And I don't know that I would take Herbert either. I'm not saying that I would take Herbert over him. But if my scouts think that Herbert is a guy who can play and give us a starting level quarterback and maybe make the playoffs three or four times in a six to eight year window. Cause people start talking about, Oh, we'd like to have him for 15 years. You're not getting him for 15. You're not getting him for a dozen. He's not Tom Brady. You're not getting him for eight. But if you can go six to eight where that guy can lead your franchise, I'd take him. But the notion that Tua is now, you know, John Elway, I'm not buying that. I'm not. See, I think this is maneuvering. I think this is the Dolphins trying to put the word out there so they don't have to jump up and trade up, say, with Detroit, so they discourage the Chargers from jumping up because they make it seem like, oh, the Chargers can just wait and they can get Tua. I would remind you of what we talked about often at the beginning of the NFL season this year, and that was that the Dolphins were tanking. They weren't going to win any games at all. And who were they tanking for? They were tanking for Tua and not for Herbert. I'm going to move on now to something that I know you're excited about, This is the Jordan documentary, which I believe debuts on Sunday night called The Last Dance. According to The Athletic, Michael Jordan is concerned, maybe a little bit worried, of the way he's going to be viewed. A lot of this stuff, almost all of it, I guess, was recorded over 20 years ago. And Jordan was particularly hard on Scott Burrell, who was a rookie for the Bulls that year. And Jordan, you know, he doesn't want to be looked at as mean. He's afraid that's what's going to happen. You know Jordan far better than I. Do you think Jordan has to worry that the view of him will be colored by this documentary? You know, my answer to whether Michael Jordan should be worried is always no. He's Michael Jordan. What the hell does he have to worry about? But to your question as to whether this will color the way some people feel, yes, this is not new. This is nothing new. And you know him well enough to know this. You know how hard he was, particularly on incoming teammates, trying to get them to a certain place so they would be ready, not for him, but for the Pistons or the Knicks or whomever it was the Bulls were going to play in the playoffs, Tony. And this fueled the actual realization of the documentary because Michael would say to people, including the director, hey, 
I'm going to look bad when this happens. I don't want to have that. People aren't going to understand. And the director says to Michael Jordan, well, then make them understand. Sit for this. Let us do this. You explain. You control the message. Michael doesn't control the message through Twitter or Instagram, but he can control this, Tony, in these 10 hours. So this is not a new concern. We've all known this all the time about Michael Jordan, but there are 35 years worth of people who didn't know that, who didn't live in the real time that Michael did these things. Yes, it will color people's thinking about him. It sure will. So let me try and distill this down. Michael Jordan is worried that he's going to come off looking mean. Well, he was mean. He punched (laughs) Dieter in the mouth. He was mean to all of his teammates wherever he went. And I said this about Kobe Bryant. He was the same with teammates. He was mean to teammates. Here is the trade-off. You allow people to behave in a certain way because they are great players, because they're going to win you a championship. At the end of this documentary, I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan and his teammates are holding up a trophy. So what is socially unacceptable in terms of behavior is not unacceptable in the court or in the locker room. You can, now Jordan is going to rationalize it. and He's going to say, I had to make this kid tough. And, and that's true. All of what Jordan said is true. But sure, he was mean. And many, if not most of the great ones are. Right? Yes. Look, we know Bird was. God knows that there's a documentary about Bird, which I can't imagine there actually being. You talk about mean. He was mean during the course of games. We're sitting in the press row hearing what he said to people. But, Tony, I'm going to go back a little bit. And I know you were really young, but was Russell like this? Was Oscar like um, this? The, the, the truly great ones, were they, were they the same way that Michael describes himself? So I was very I was too young to know about that. Bill Russell was a tremendous leader, but he was also a guy and, and was sort of a solitary fellow, except when he was on the court. In terms of Oscar Robertson, he's always come across to me as being exceptionally nice, but it's hard to imagine you can be exceptionally nice and be a great player, with the exception of Magic Johnson, who, right. by the way, was mean with coaches sometimes. I mean, there's a side, there's a mean side to almost everybody. Yeah. No, you're right about that. Tony, you're certainly mean. I've described you that way many, many times. Let's move on to one of my favorite topics, Tony, actually one of yours, Vegas, a Vegas gambling story. Caesars Palace came out with their NFL over-unders today, and they have the Patriots win total at 8.5, eight and a half, Tony, and the Buccaneers at nine. So which feels to you like the bigger underestimation, the Patriots at eight and a half or the Bucks at nine? I'm going to say this up front, that I think both may be underestimations. Wow. I'm inclined to, I'm inclined to immediately say the Patriots because the Patriots are the Patriots. They're in a division where I don't think the Jets are very good. I don't think the Dolphins are very good. And while Buffalo's okay, they can't score. So the Patriots could run the table in that division as they, as they often have. But at the second half of last year, they were not a good team. And they had Tom Brady, not Jared Stitham. So that holds me back a little bit. I will say this about the Bucs with Brady. They won seven games last year, and Jameis Winston probably threw away three. And and Brady's not going to do that. He's just not going to do that. So for me, I'm inclined to give the Bucs a little bit more of an advantage. And I I know you, and I know you're going to laugh at that, and you're going to double down on the Patriots. 
I want to double down and I'm going to double down on the head of Jeff Davis, the head odds maker at Caesars, who essentially comes out and says, I guess he's a NFL, you know, analyst extraordinaire or elite because he essentially I'm paraphrasing now. He says, you know, let's see what Belichick's really got. Let's see if he's any good. That's essentially what he says. And yeah, I'm going to take Bill Belichick over Jeff Davis from Caesars 999 times out of a thousand. Maybe this is his one time to shine. But Tony, I'm going with the Buccaneers. Apparently Jeff Davis is not familiar with the notion of coaches making coaches and their staffs getting more out of players than he thinks in Vegas. So I'm going with the Patriots. Tony, my own personal number on the Patriots is 10. And Bill Belichick is alone. Is he not worth two and a half, three games to you even without Tom Brady? So this is, if there is a season, this is the essential question of the season. Will Tom Brady without Bill Belichick be better than Bill Belichick without Tom Brady? That that's the season. It's the number that's one. It, it's right? the number one that's question it. going in. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can see who I'm going with, Tony. Though we're apart these days, we're sharing more. So at Geico, we'd like to say thanks. Thanks for sharing your savage dance moves. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircut fails. Thanks for sharing your inner lip sync star. Now it's our turn to share with the Geico Give Back, a 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for current and new customers. Because we're committed for the long haul, the 15% credit lasts your full policy term. Visit geico.com slash giveback for more info and eligibility. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. As you know, kids, up in the attic, we put glasses on to do the happies. Happy 68th birthday, Bill Belichick. He started out in the NFL as a special assistant for the Baltimore Colts in 1975. He caught the eye of Bill Parcells of the Giants and was his defensive coordinator on two Super Bowl champions. His first head coaching job was in Cleveland, where he was ordinary. But in New England, with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick rewrote the record book. He has the most Super Bowl appearances of any head coach, nine. He has the most Super Bowl wins, six. He has the most playoff wins, 31. His postseason record is 31 and 12. That's a 721 winning percentage. The last time his team won fewer than 10 games was 2002. The last time he had a losing season was 2000. He is by any measure one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL. What's the Mount Rushmore? Lombardi, Shula, Walsh, Belichick. Does that sound right to you, Mike? It sounds right to me. You've got to have the father of the NFL, George Hallis, on it. You gotta have George Hallis on. Look, you know how much I love everything Bill Walsh. I love Bill Walsh. I, Bill Walsh didn't win more championships than, than George Hallis. So I'm sorry, Hall, Hallis and Lombardi. I, I'm fine having two guys that millennials will say, Lombardi's, is that a pizzeria? We're not familiar with him. No, it's Vince Lombardi. <laughs> Google him. Go to YouTube. Do what you gotta do. But Hallis and Lombardi are on my Mount Rushmore. 
All right. So, well, I had Lombardi on mine as well. I just had Walsh and Belichick and Shula. If we're going to do happy birthday to Belichick, of course, we're going to have to mention Tom Brady. So, happy anniversary, Tom Brady. On this day 20 years ago, Brady was drafted as the sixth round by the New England Patriots out of the University of Michigan. He was the 199th overall selection and the seventh quarterback taken. All those other quarterbacks combined for 191 NFL starts and 258 touchdown passes in their careers. Brady by himself has 324 starts and 541 touchdown passes, (laughs) not to mention 219 regular season wins, 30 playoff wins, six Super Bowl wins. All of these were accomplished with one head coach, Bill Belichick. Now what everyone wants to know is, how will Brady do in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians? And when Brady gets in his car to go to practice, will the GPS insist on taking him to Foxborough? Tony, I want to know the draft Knicks, even our beloved friends, where they have Tom Brady going. They haven't winning those Super Bowls from the sixth round position. Not exactly the pole position. So you ask me, oh, but you have to take Tua over. No, I don't, because this is not a science. Stop it. Happy trails. Whoa, I missed on the glasses. Happy trails to the originality of the Colts secondary logo. The Indianapolis Colts <laughs> unveiled a new secondary logo, a C for Colts surrounding the outline of the state of Indiana. Unfortunately for them, Cathedral High School of Hello, Indianapolis has the same logo, a C for Cathedral surrounding the outline of Indiana. <laughs> uh. Former Cathedral Vice Principal Jerry Kabuski is accusing the Colts of stealing his own design. The Colts say they were unaware of the Cathedral logo, even though their tight end Jack Doyle went to Cathedral. The Colts say the logo was designed by the league, and they, the Colts, would never steal an idea from their great friends at Cathedral. The Colts look bad in this, and me personally, I'm happy, because as far as I'm concerned, they're still the Baltimore Colts, and running to Indiana in the middle of the night still bothers me. Well, Tony, I get that. I, I you know, I'm, I'm past that because I'm not exactly from Baltimore, but it was a stupid idea in Indianapolis. So this, you know what this provides the Colts people with, especially the marketing geniuses. It provides them with a chance to backslide out of this and not look as dopey as they would have looked had they trotted out a secondary logo. You mean to tell me people are now hired to come up with a secondary logo? That's nearly as frightening as you saying every day we start in the attic because somebody's going to want to come up with a logo and change the name of this show to Up in the Attic. I like that. I like it. PTI.